church, uh, ages K through 5, to head out with Jim Williams for some fun, fun times there, and invite you to open up your Bible. We're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47, which can be found on page 757, 757 of the Bible that is uh, in your rows there, if you want to go ahead and use one of those. So we continue our study in the book of Acts, and this is a passage relating to the fellowship of the believers, these uh, people who have believed in Christ and come together. And so I'll read that for us, Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. It was a bold and a daring initiative in the 1990s to create a self-sustaining environment, a world within a world, by building a self-sealed colony in the desert of Arizona, known as Biosphere 2. Seven colonists were to enter this special enclosed structure where they were to live together, separate from the world, a sort of perfect community. They were to grow their own food, create their own oxygen, recycle their own waste, to in effect be a world within a world. It was hailed as a technological marvel, a precursor of what life would look like for colonists as they went off to other planets to colonize and to live together. But what was designed to be the perfect community was flawed from the start. Interestingly enough, it was not from the structures without, but rather from the people within. As these colonists entered and life began in Biosphere 2, the intense rigors of community life began to take their toll. In fact, before halfway had gone through the mission, the seven people had divided into two factions. People who had been lifelong intimate friends had become implacable enemies, barely even speaking to one another. There were intense internal management disputes that happened daily in the community, and ultimately, several members of the community ended up dooming the project by sabotaging it, by opening up several internal airlocks and contaminating the system within. The project was prematurely canceled in 1994 due to management issues uh, with a lockout occurring. What was planned as the perfect community ended in chaos. And Biosphere 2, in many ways, is a microcosm of man's search for the perfect community. The truth of the matter is that we all long for community. We all long for a place where we can go, where we can love and be loved, where we can be cared for and care, where we can trust and be trusted as well. But for some reason, it's so hard to find such a place. Why do we long for this so much? Why do we long for community? The reason we long for community is we were designed by a Trinitarian God. The God who made us is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God who has existed in perfect community and harmony since the beginning of time. And so built into that DNA of who we are is this need for community, for oneness with other people. 
But all too often, we don't find it. Where can we find it? All too often, our efforts at community turn out like Biosphere 2. That despite the perfect political agenda, or the perfect common goals, or even the perfect common enemy, we discover ourselves fragmented and split. Well, this passage that we're reading right here is about God's plan to create oneness, a plan that He has started from the beginning of time and inaugurated in what we call the church. The church is God's plan to create oneness, for humanity to experience oneness. Now, on this earth, we can experience perfect oneness because we are sinners and we're fallen people. But the church is God's plan to set us on a path of oneness that will ultimately culminate with the oneness that God has destined us for. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit by which He has brought us together, and Christ has given us the church by which He binds us and is building us together. Well, how does God do this? Three ways I see in this particular passage. The first is that Christ binds us together by means of His grace, and so we must make use of them. Secondly, as He binds us together by means of this grace, we as the church become a manifestation of His grace in the world around us. And finally, as we become this manifestation, God leads to additions for His grace. And so we're going to look at these three things together. What are these means of grace that bind us together? Well, we've been talking about the book of Acts. And the book of Acts documents what happened after Jesus Christ died and was resurrected and rose again. The book of Acts answers the question, so what? What difference does it make that Jesus Christ came and rose again? What does that have to do with me here today, 2,000 years later? If we remember, Jesus Christ came to earth to inaugurate a ministry of reconciliation. The scriptures say that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. And Jesus himself said in John 10.10, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And the reason that we need Jesus is because man had rebelled against God, turned their backs on God, and decided to worship other things than the one true God. But it was Jesus Christ who bridged this gap between God and man, who destroyed this barrier of hostility between God and man. And after this resurrection, he appeared to man, he appeared to the disciples over 50 days and said, I'm going to apply this victory that I have procured here on the cross to you by bringing you the Holy Spirit. I'm literally going to come and dwell within you. And so in this very chapter, we have seen this occurring in Pentecost Sunday, that the Holy Spirit has come upon the initial 120 disciples that they have begun praising God and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this message has been so powerful that 3,000 other people hearing this message have come and been added to the fellowship. In just one day, this fellowship, this tiny church, has grown to 3,120 people. Well, this passage that I just read describes the first actions of this new group of people that have been created, this New Testament church. And it's really quite fascinating when you look at it. Because we see a radical change in behavior. We see that these random people who come from all different places are all of a sudden functioning in unison. The Greek here, unfortunately the way the English Bible has it, it has a little break here in between the 3,000 numbers being added and what they were doing. But in the Greek it literally says that 3,000 were added to their number that day and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
almost right away, they were functioning in a different way than they were before. And what is it exactly that they were doing? They were doing these four things. The Greek there, again, they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. See, something has happened. As they have bonded to Christ, they have manifested His life in this new community that's been being created. The best way I can explain this is by way of analogy. My children and I recently did a chemistry experiment. Fun, fun, fun in the Rodriguez house, we decided to go ahead and make crystals together. And as we were doing this, I actually learned a lot about how one makes a crystal. See, to make a crystal, what you need is a solution. Oh, there went a molecule there, excuse me. You need a solution, and in this solution, there's a host of these molecules that are kind of floating around. And they have a propensity to want to connect to something, but there's one problem, they can't. There's not enough force, not enough chemical force to bind them together. So they may bind for a second, and then they'll unbind, and they'll bind to the wall, but they can't quite seem to grow together. So what you do to make a crystal is you take a seed. It's called a crystal seed. And this crystal seed has unique chemical properties to it. Because once you drop it in the solution, it instantly starts to draw these other molecules to it. And so what it does is through the means of these chemical bonds, I think they're called covalent bonds. If my science is very hokey, please forgive me. I'm not going to mention any names, Dave Broyles. Whoa, excuse me and starts to bond these things to each other by means of these bonds. But something very interesting happens as these different molecules begin to bond to each other, bond to the seed, excuse me. They start to bond to one another as well. And these elaborate crystalline structures begin to be formed again and again in these beautiful patterns again and again, radiating out. I don't know if you've ever seen a crystal, but the beauty of this structure starts to rise as these things again and again be, uh, start to bond to one another. I love this, this picture. You know, as long as the conditions are right, this crystal will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. In fact, maybe if you've gone into the Smithsonian or other places, you see these giant crystals, and they all begin with this seed, and several molecules bonding to the seed and then beginning to bond to each other. The reason I love this picture of the crystal is because it's the picture of exactly what's going on right here. That Christ has come and He has bonded people to Himself by means of His Holy Spirit. That these 120 disciples and these other 3,000 disciples are coming and being bonded. But something is happening that this community is beginning to bond to one another as they are bonding to Christ. You see, God understands something, that in the beginning, these bonds are so fragile. But God has made means to which to strengthen us and build us together so that we won't blow apart, either from Christ or from each other. And so God has given us what He calls the means of grace. I want to talk about these four means of grace, the four things that they were constantly devoting themselves to. The first is not a means of grace, but rather the context in which these means of grace occur. It is called the fellowship or the church. See, something neat happens. As these things bond to Christ and they become bonded to each other, it's harder to pull them away from the seed because of the structure that is occurring. 
See, God has given us the fellowship of believers to help bond us to Christ, a means of His grace. And then God gives us these three other powerful bonds. The first is the apostles' teaching. We see here that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is foundational to the church. In fact, it's foundational as the Holy Spirit. We see in Ephesians 3.20 that the apostles are the foundation with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And the reason these apostles were so important is because they were the ones entrusted with the very words of God. See, on this very day, there were 3,000 babies who were born, but their bonds were so fragile to Christ, they needed to be strengthened. And so God gave the Word. The Word is a means to strengthen them. In fact, the Word has been referred to as food, as pure milk. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, back in that time, the new believers didn't have a Bible. The apostles were the Bible. But that Bible, that teaching by the apostles had been codified, and now we have it right here, a means to strengthen our grace, a means to bond us to Christ. Also, we see that they were devoted, constantly devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. And in fact, here in the Greek, we see the definite article. It doesn't say that they were devoted to breaking bread. It says they were devoted to the breaking of the bread. See, right here, he's specifically talking about communion, a means of grace that God has given to strengthen us to himself and to one another. See, when we come to the communion table, Christ is spiritually present in the supper, and he feeds our hearts. He strengthens these wayward bonds. I love that old passage, that old song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave this God I love. But God has not left us bereft of his grace. He's given us his grace to bond us in the apostles' teaching and the breaking of the bread. Well, we see that they were breaking the bread both formally at the temple, but also informally at the home. Does it mean that they were taking communion in their home? No, we need to understand that the breaking of the bread took place in the larger context of a meal, what was called the agape feast back then, the agape feast, that they would have a meal together and they would fellowship and take communion. And so they were constantly coming together during the week and having these meals, but on Sunday, we know that the communion took place in the presence of the elders. They were having that formally together, just like we do here at Church of the Redeemer. You know, one thing is true of Christians. They always like to eat, always like to get together, whether it's 2,000 years ago or even so now. And we see also that they were making use of that third means of grace by prayer, that they were coming together and they were praying as a body, both formally on Sunday and informally in each other's homes during the week. You know, prayer, what a blessing that God has given us that we can come to Him a means of grace to strengthen us, that we can call out to Him and that He can answer us and that we can experience His grace and His presence together. The means of grace. So this begs the question, Church of the Redeemer, if God has given us these means of grace, shouldn't we make use of them? Can we afford to neglect these things that the early church devoted themselves to constantly? See, Christ has given us His Holy Spirit by which He brings us to Him, and to one another, and Christ has given us his church and his means of grace by which he binds us to one another. We must make use of them. 
I want you to imagine that I decided with you to go scuba diving together. And we went ahead, we hopped in the water, we went scuba diving, and we went down 80 feet, and we're having ourselves a great time. And it's comfortable and everything's great because I've got a tank on my back and I've got this air and I'm able to survive in this different environment and looking around. But all of a sudden, something starts to happen. My breathing begins to become shallow. I start to not be able to get enough breath and I start to panic. And I look at my friend, I look at Russ here, I say, Russ, what's wrong? And I look at my dive computer and I have enough air there. No, there's no problem there. And Russ points over and he points at my line. And I look down, and there it is. There's a kink in my line. Something that's stopping the delivery of the fresh air coming into my system so I can breathe. Now, I could do a couple of different things. I could just look at it and go, oh, my gosh. Now I realize what the problem is. I thought it might be here. It's right here. Can you imagine that? My line is kinked. Oh, my gosh. Or... Probably what I'm going to do is as quick as possible unkink that line so that air can flow from the tank into my lungs where I so desperately need it. You see, God has given us means of grace by which the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can flow unhindered into our souls. The fellowship of the believers where we come together and are strengthened and encouraged. God's Word, His pure racing fuel, his pure breath by which we breathe truth and remember that God loves us. The communion table where we are spiritually fed and prayer where we get together and we commune with God and he communes with us. Means of grace. We must unkink the line so we may breathe. See, sometimes people come to me and they say, Pastor, I I don't know what's going on with my relationship with Christ, but I, I feel so far away from him so distant, I I can't seem to connect with them. And I start to probe and ask some questions. Well, how are things going with coming to church and being a part of the body? Well, truth be told, I haven't been a part of church or gone to church in weeks or even months. Wait a second. Well, how are things going in terms of your personal walk with the Lord? Are you sitting down with Him and reading His Word? Are you engaging Him in prayer? Well, Things have been really busy right now, and I really haven't had a lot of time to do that, if, if I'm honest. And I simply have to turn and say, there, there are kinks in your line. God's grace is here, and it's available for us, but we must make use of it. We must unkink that line so that God may flow. And that's what we must do here at Church of the Redeemer. We must come together and engage and be a part and be the body so that we can be strengthened. Every Sunday when you come to Church of the Redeemer, you get a chance to hear God's Word and to partake of the Lord's table and to be encouraged by one another. We have opportunities for prayer at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. We come together back there and we pray together for the service and for the church. And Wednesday mornings at 6.30, we come together for the gathering at the church office to get together in prayer. Means and ways to experience God's grace. On September 12th, we are going to be having our vision and direction meetings, which are also going to double as our inquirer seminar. One of the prerequisites for membership here, for engaging with the church, is to attend this inquirer seminar on the 12th, 19th, and 26th, to look at becoming a member, coming away from the fringes, and being a part of the body. If we make use of the means of grace that Christ has given us, we will strengthen and grow. And if we do so, we will start to become a manifestation of His grace. 
That's the second point that I wanted to talk about, a manifestation of His grace. You know, it's very interesting. Different crystals have different properties. I could stand up in front of you right now and hold up a diamond and a cubic zirconia. And on the surface, they might look kind of similar. Though any woman will tell you that there's a vast difference between diamond and cubic zirconia. Well, chemically speaking, there's a vast difference as well. Because a diamond is, natu- is the naturally occurring hardest substance on the planet Earth. Nothing else is like a diamond. A cubic zirconia doesn't even come close. And so this diamond exhibits different characteristics than this cubic zirconia. Well, a church should, dis- should show different properties and different characteristics because it is unlike any community other on the face of the Earth. Well, what is unique about the church? What is unique about this church? We can see it by looking at this passage right now and how these people began to believe as they were strengthened by these means of grace. And there's one particular word that stands out, and that is the word togetherness, community. We see this manifestation. Look at verse 44. And they were together, having everything in common. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And verse 46, they met together in the temple courts. They were constantly being together and meeting together. The key word here is called, in the Greek, koinonia, from the word koinos, which means common. In fact, that's where we get the word community from, from the word common. And so what was the source of this community? It was that they were connected to Christ and they were being bonded together. We see two particular manifestations of this community. Number one was that they had a desire to be together. Notice this. They ate together. They worshipped together. They met together in the temple courts and also in their homes. The infection that they had of Christ led to affection for one another. They had a desire. They not only loved each other, they also liked each other. And so there was this desire to be together. Also, they had a common concern for one another. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their goods and possessions. Now, this begs the question, is Paul, excuse me, not Paul, Luke, who wrote Acts, advocating some sort of Christian communism? Should I be calling right now for everyone to take their possessions and come bring them and set them right here at the foot of Redeemer to be held in trust? And the answer is no. If you look at this passage in verse 45, in the Greek, it's actually in the imperfect tense. What it was actually saying was, and they were selling their possessions and goods, and they were giving to anyone as their needs were arising. In other words, it wasn't a one thing that happened. It was rather a response to the needs of the congregation as they were occurring again and again. What this passage is talking about is the heart of the people. That there was a oneness that they had for one another, so much so that it was being manifested in a common concern that they had for one another. And so they sacrificed for one another. And what was the result of this sacrifice? Was it frustration and anger? No, look in 46, verse 46. We see, excuse me, verse 47, that, uh, 46, that as they ate together, they had glad and sincere hearts. In fact, that word glad means 
abundant and exceeding joy. There was a joy of this fellowship. C.S. Lewis said a great thing about joy. He said, we all know the proof of joy. It is the proof that what we have truly satisfies the heart. What a beautiful picture of the manifestation of this community of God. Redeemer, when people look at us, do they see a diamond or do they see a cubic zirconia? I'm pleased to see that I believe that they see a diamond. I believe that one of the great things about this church is the love that we have for one another, the care that we have for one another, how we reach out to one another, how we like to be together. But we must be vigilant. We are a small church, but we are growing. Though you wouldn't necessarily know it, today we had double this last week and more folks who are coming. This is probably the lowest attendance of any uh, part of the year because it's right before the start of the school year. But we must be vigilant. You know, it's easy to be on the fringe of the community, isn't it? It's easy to kind of stay distant, to show up, be a part of things, and to leave. And yet we never really get that opportunity to experience the joys of community. We never get that opportunity to sacrifice for someone else and to be sacrificed for, to see the manifestation of God's presence working in the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to engage, not only formally coming on Sunday, making this a necessity, an important part of, of your life as a Christian, but to start to engage with one another. Reach out to one another. Pick up the phone. How are you doing? I'd love to get together and be in your home and spend time with you. And I'd love you to come over and spend time with me to be more than just a group that meets on Sunday, but to be a group that really is like this, bonded together by His Holy Spirit and tied together by His means of grace. And if we do so, if we make use of His means of grace and manifest His grace, what we will discover is that we will begin to see additions to His grace. I love this parenthetical remark in verse 47 that the apostles were, and the believers, they were doing all of these things, coming together, devoting themselves. And in verse 47, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily among those who were being saved. Who was it that added people to the body? It was the Lord. As they were about the business of being the church, the Lord was adding. See, we don't do church at Church of the Redeemer. We are the church at Church of the Redeemer. You know, it's an interesting thing about crystals, as I've said. If the solution is right, molecules will continue to be attracted to that seed and to bond together. And so we must focus on making the main thing the main thing. Being devoted to the fellowship. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching. To coming to the table together to praying together. And God will add daily to the number of those who are being saved. You know, one of the things I like is that as they were devoted to these things, they were also on display for the world to see. We see that they met together in the temple courts and in homes. See, the temple courts were available for other people to take a look at what was going on. That as they were meeting together, people could, could almost look in and see what was going on. 
As they were meeting in different communities, their different neighborhoods during the week, people were looking on. The life of the church was on display for all to see. And the Lord was adding. And it says that they were enjoying the favor of the people. Because people were looking on the community and they were scratching their head and going, I don't get this. I don't quite understand what's going on here. But something is going on that is almost miraculous that I can't quite get my hands on. You know, I was blessed. Uh, I went to school at the University of Virginia. Please no hissing or booing. And uh, we had a great community of guys. Uh, I was involved with Young Life and I was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And for some reason, we just had this great group of guys. We loved sports and we loved Christ. And we all went to the same church. We went to Trinity, which was the PCA church in Charlottesville. And so we'd gather there on Sunday, but during the week, we would just be together. And we'd be involved in different things. We'd play intramural sports together. We'd get together on Tuesday nights for FCA. We, I kind of referred to us as this giant amoeba that would kind of float around, you know, It'd just float around UVA, brushing up against people. But something would happen that as the amoeba floated around Virginia, it would brush up against people, and some people, it would stick. Because as they, as they looked at us, and they saw the love that we had for one another, the care that we had for one another, which looked so different from the world around them, they said, I want to know more of what's going on. And so they would just sort of latch on to us. And as they latched on to us and spent time with us, they would get a chance finally to kind of peer through the crystalline structure and they would see at the core of what was causing the heartbeat of this community to beat. And that was Jesus Christ. And they would be drawn in as well. See, Church of the Redeemer, I want us to be a big amoeba. That we love each other. Now, this is not college days. We can't spend 24 hours together as a big group or whatever. See, we gather on Sunday and then we have to scatter. But we scatter to the communities where some of us live together. Little groups, five people, six people, eight people, getting together, being little amoebas here, here, and here, brushing up against people. And as we do so, as we manifest this community, the Lord will add daily to those who are being saved. On September 12th, we're going to talk a little bit about our strategy for groups, our formal strategy for groups that we're looking at. But I much more would rather see this start to begin informally. You know, you can create all the structures in the world, but if the heart is not there, it's not going to occur. So I want to encourage you to maybe think to yourself, who do I need to call this week? Who do I need to check into? Who do I need to reach outside of myself and my world and look to bond, if you will, through the love of Christ to bring close to me? Because the work of the church is to be the church. And that is what God is calling us to do here. So I conclude with these thoughts. God has not left us bereft of His grace. He has brought us to Himself by His Holy Spirit. But He continues to nurture and care for and strengthen us by means of His grace. We have a responsibility to devote ourselves to them. See, our responsibility is to maintain the line, keep it open. His responsibility is to provide the air. And He will as we do so. And let us look to manifest His grace by caring for one another, by being devoted to one another, and by being Christ's amoeba here in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and the world beyond.
Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture of the care that you have for us. That you have not left us bereft. You have not simply done a transaction with us, bringing us to yourself by the Holy Spirit. But you continue to dwell with us, Lord. And you continue to strengthen us. You bind us together by the fellowship. And you give us the pure air of your grace through your teaching, through this table of which we're about to partake of, and prayer. Lord, help us not to neglect the means of your grace, but help us to unkink those lines, to suck it in with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, we are needy, but we know that you will provide. And so we thank you for the blessings that you provide us even now in this service and will continue to provide us throughout the week. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to invite Cal.